0: What's that sound? Do you hear it? It's the warmers We're hey! back, baby. Hey! What are you doing? Know? That's right, everybody.
1: I know it's been a long 2020 and going into 2021 without your favorite and as far as we know, only sport sports,
0: Jewish, Jewish sports podcast. We we wanted to wait until 5771 for numerological reasons in order to return uh to your to your ear holes, but we're back. Yeah. Uh, we are here with a brand new season of great guests, great stories, great jokes, um, and some pretty good convincing. Yeah. So,
1: so just to just to fill in the blanks, uh, any any non Canadian listeners probably know less about this, but uh, our newspaper, the Canadian Jewish News, uh, unfortunately had to close down back in April, but it's back. It's coming back in a newsletter and online form, like a phoenix rising out of Arizona. Uh, absolutely, including podcasts. And we're so proud to be the first and uh, only, as far as we know, so far, <laughs> returning podcast uh, in, the, in the CJN podcast network, which will um, have a new
0: name, too. That's not saying that, that all of your old favorites from our network are, uh, are gone. Our, our, this show, Our Baby, is still produced and, and you know, germinated by Michael Freeman, former CJN podcast host and friend of the show.
1: That's right. Um, And it's been a long time since our April uh, interview with Sage Rosenfels. I mean, Gabe, you're you're uh, you're expecting. uh, Uh, Last time, expecting what? Expecting a child soon. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Since my baby was born when we last went off the air, but now she's eleven months old almost. So big changes there.
0: Yep. Um, And my my wife is is carrying my child now. Um, The pandemic
1: continues to rage on, but sports are somehow uh against all better advice sports are back and continue <laughs> so, to be back
0: so, that so, so, means, so so are we yeah so so are we exactly uh, uh like jock peterson we are just hanging on by the skin of our teeth to uh, catch on to others glory
1: absolutely and uh we thought we'd give everybody a little quick rundown of of where we left everybody in uh, 2020 and going into 2021, uh, just catch up on some of our favorite Jewish athletes and Jewish sports stories uh, since we last met. So it's we're recording this on Monday, January 25th. Last night were the uh, or yesterday afternoon, and last night were the NFC and AFC championship games. Uh, the the uh, the dreaded Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by immortal uh, pixie pixie creature Tom Brady, have made the Super Bowl. Uh, to everyone's chagrin, and they're going to face the Kansas City Chiefs. And this means that for the third year in a row, there's going to be a Jewish uh, Super Bowl champion because yeah. uh, Malcolm Mitchell, Glazer, uh, Mitchell Schwartz, uh <laughs> Malcolm Glazer. Yeah, he wins no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but Mitchell Schwartz of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who's unfortunately injured, but he's already a Super Bowl champion. He won last year. And Ali Marpet of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a guard for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Big feller. Uh he he's the other option if Tampa Bay wins. So we're gonna have a Jewish Super Bowl champion. It's gonna be the third year in a row after uh two two years ago was Edelman won the Super Bowl MVP and, mm-hmm. and Nate Ebner is also a winner. And last year Mitch Schwartz, and this year we'll have a Super Bowl champion as well from, from the tribe. So that's that's good to know. Otherwise, not a lot of Jewish uh debuts, as far as I know. I know Josh Rosen was our chosen Rosen, hasn't really made it as a pro the way we wanted to, but we're still pulling for him. Uh, Jerry Judy, who is not Jewish at all, but wears a Starved David <laughs> necklace because of his last name. And
0: his, he's his an, an honorary Jewish person, I honorary think.
1: Honorary Jewish person, uh, was, was picked in the first round last year, had a decent rookie year for the Denver Broncos. Uh, you know, he's someone who will continue to follow.
0: So. We're also, similarly, we're following, uh, I believe he was drafted last year, just after our podcast went off the air. Um, St. Louis Cardinals draft pick, Thomas Jew. Is, uh, oh yeah, Tommy
1: Jew. Uh, so, so what's what's been going on in baseball, Gabe? Maybe you can fill us in there.
0: So, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, a very popular Jewish uh, team with a lot of Jewish fans, we know several of our listeners. Um, sure. You know, our, our former guest, uh, he and I spoke about the uh, uh, the championship. Um, Very, very in reverent terms. Max Winkler was extremely pleased to see his beloved Dodgers win the championship. Um, In the front row also of every game, uh, except for this year, of course, you uh, noted uh, old Jewish person, uh, Larry King, who I guess finally got to see one of his long wishes before he... um,
1: uh, Before he passed away last week. Before he
0: met the big rabbi in the sky.
1: Yeah, unfortunate, sad, bittersweet that Larry King passed away, but at least he did get to see his beloved Dodgers
0: uh, win the championship. And, and, uh, and Jock Peterson, um, young Jewish, uh, bashing boy chick himself, Jock Peterson uh, gets his ring. Absolutely. So, uh, it's like his bar mitzvah all over again.
1: And uh, any news on the on the Israel baseball front? I mean, I know we were all excited back in the spring of 2020 about a, a Israel in the in the Olympics potentially going for a medal in, in baseball, but so obviously since, that had to be put on
0: hold. Since we last spoke, the Olympics have been canceled um, and yeah. rescheduled and potentially canceled again. We're following the story very closely um, to know if team Israel, our friends on team Israel, will be um, traveling to the games this year uh, you know, 2021 and the rescheduled, we presume that baseball is one of the easier sports to play socially distance and, and That's true. possibly without fans. I don't know if anyone, any of you guys listening or, or either of you here have ever watched an Olympic baseball game. Um, but there, are, you know, more fans tend to be at, at beer league softball in Toronto <laughs> than there are at an uh, Olympic baseball game.
1: I, I would say I am, uh, I'm pretty skeptical. The Olympics are going to happen. But who knows? Uh, maybe there's you know much more vaccine production, and we can we can get everyone vaccinated before they travel to Japan. Uh, maybe there's a partial Olympics or spread out. But I would say I'm firmly in, in the skeptical camp, and that would be a real blow to, to Israel baseball. It would be you know it'd be really sad that after all, the miracle of qualifying for the Olympics, that they wouldn't be able to. You
0: know, to no one thought there. they would be here. But just imagine if Team Israel beats you know all of Europe, all of the expectations of five and a half thousand years of athletic incompetence and then finally gets, you know, to beat the pandemic in order to win that Olympic medal.
1: Yeah. It would be something, it would be an amazing story. It's something we've, we've really pinned our hopes on these last couple of years. Since we started this podcast, I think it's been one of the things we've always focused on, but we'll see. Obviously there's more important things that uh, the world is dealing with, with COVID than, than putting on Olympics, but it would be amazing to have an Olympics. Um, moving on to basketball, I think there's some really big news that a lot of our listeners and Jewish sports fans, Jewish basketball fans have been interested in uh, the last couple of months, which is that Denny of Dia uh, of nah, it, Denny. Uh, was picked ninth overall by the Washington Wizards in the 2020 NBA draft. He is uh, played in Tel Aviv and he was born in uh, in Kibbutz Zera, uh, which is just ah, a, a Kibbutz Zera. This is this is just an excuse for you to you to do Israeli voice, you know. Absolutely. So, so absolutely, you know, just any of our uh, Israeli listeners, just please don't be offended by Gabe. Uh, Denny's you know, dad is
0: he's Denny's playing twenty three minutes a uh, twenty three minutes a game. It's yeah.
1: uh, he's definitely he's definitely getting time early on. His dad is a uh, Serbian Israeli basketball player, Zufar Avdia. His mom Sharon Artsy, is a former track and field athlete. So I got
0: I got to say something. You see the names Zufar Avdia and Sharon Artsy? You don't know which one's the mom and which one's the dad. <laughs> That's pretty funny.
1: Uh, yeah. Thank so, you, you know, he, he's got, he's got, you know, seven points, four rebounds early on. The Wizards have, have had to have a ton of games postponed in this, you know, two-part basketball season because of COVID, they've had all these games postponed. So he hasn't had as much of a chance to show what he's got, but he'll definitely get an opportunity for a rebuilding Wizards team. And I think he is, you know, being looked upon to be, uh, be a big part of that in the future. So that's uh, a big basketball story. The other, the other basketball story worth mentioning, Sue Bird, uh, the legendary female, female basketball player was a big part of the, uh, won w- another championship. Movement. She won another championship with the uh, Seattle storm mm-hmm. and, uh, continues to be very politically motivated. She's somebody who we'll talk about later in the show as well. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, the interview that we, uh, conducted with Jody Averton, that's going to run at the back half of this episode. Gabe, what, what, what's the, what's the next sport to cover?
0: A um, couple of interesting uh, uh, developments out of, uh, I guess, the glamorous and totally not shady at all world of Formula One. Um, a, there is the uh, young Jewish driver who had his breakout season this year, Lance Stroll, who, like many Jewish athletes before him, participates on a team that is owned by his father. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and Ron. Um, his father, Lawrence Stroll, Lawrence Strulevich, uh from Montreal, uh, was in the Shmata business, made himself a a whole lot of uh, money, and spent that money buying himself an F1 team.
1: Buying you an know. F1 team, if, as a Jew, sounds like... That's like a, a whitewashing of your history right there. <laughs> like, you know, we, we changed the name from Strolovich to Stroll, and we bought ourselves a racing team. It's like, we we, we might you might as well buy, it, buy a stable of polo ponies. That's like the modern equivalent.
0: Uh, you don't remember. I don't know if this... People, our listeners remember this, but the previous head of the F1 League, Bernie Ecclestone, was he, wasn't he caught with a number of, of sex workers dressed as Nazis in some sort of post-Jewish Yikes. sex fantasy? Uh,
1: you know, you would know more about it than me. I don't know if I've ever watched one lap of an of a IndyCar race or, or anything like that. It, it, it has no interest for me. But it's nice to know that there's a young Jewish kid who, uh, who's making coming up in the world. That's, that's good. That's right.
0: Um, racing scene. So it was Bernie's friend. It was not Bernie Ecclestone. It was okay. uh, Max Mosley, who was the uh, international uh, sports president of the FIA. I see. Just, just the big uh, uh, federation of of sort of all of the all racing all over the world, not just F1. Um, and uh, he was caught. Uh, I guess he was not Jewish, and his father was a, a British war hero. He was caught uh, uh, with some some, you know, controversial fantasies. And uh, uh, there's a Jewish connection to F1 there.
1: Okay. Uh, So they're still running the races in F1. I guess it's a socially distanced sport, more or less.
0: There are, there are no, um, no fans in the audience, except for a little bit. Um, And Lance is sort of, you know, he, he got a couple of, uh, got a couple of podiums this year um, by himself. And, and uh, he actually, his number in the, in the paddock is number 18. So oh, there's another nice. Uh, nice little Jewish thing. I think we're going to chew until he comes on this show and, uh, and tells us the truth. I think we can, it's fair to assume that that's a Jewish thing.
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, moving on to tennis. There's two big names to talk about on the men's side. Uh, who We've talked about on our podcast a lot before uh, the first being Dennis Pavlov, uh, a local boy from Richmond Hill, Chapeau uh, mm-hmm. chapo had a pretty solid 2020 he made it to the quarterfinals in the u.s open this past summer uh and he's made it all the way up to 12th in, to, to be ranked 12th in the world wow uh, I, i'm pretty sure he's he's participating in the australian open um mm-hmm. he he did make it all the way to the semifinals of the italian open and he lost to our other big name jewish jewish tennis player diego schwartzman uh and diego had a great 2020 spectacular like, was, year he he was great. He made fourth round of the Australian. Then at the Italian Open, he beat Rafael Nadal. Um, made it all the way to the finals until he lost to Novak Djokovic. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, he made it to the quarter. Sorry, he made it to the semifinals of the French Open as well. Uh, and he lost to Nadal there. And he is, um, you know, um, he is he is the shortest player to make it that far. I think since Harold Solomon, another Jewish athlete, made the U.S. Open semis back in 1977, so you know, it's, I feel it's like pretty... that's sort of fitting. I mean, I know that there's a, a stereotype of a Jew as as short and not particularly athletic, which is ironic because so many of the Jews we talk about are like six foot seven. But Diego Schwartzman is I mean, a Danny smart, certainly his, is. Yeah, Diego Schwartzman is a, is a short king, and <laughs> he made it further in tennis, which is you know a game increasingly dominated by lanky uh, six foot seven guys. So it's amazing to see Diego, go Diego, go. And we wish yep. him, you know, Yashar Koch in, in 2021, see, see how far he can go. If he could win a, a Grand Slam, that would be amazing.
0: And, and my understanding is Diego, just to remind our audience, he's pretty proud of being Jewish.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Argentine Jew definitely embraces it um, and definitely a favorite for Jewish fans around the world. Um, anything, anything else, Gabe? Any, any freak, freak, weird freak sports you want to talk about? I know you're into all those, uh, all those weird ones.
0: Um, I mean, we already talked about uh, auto racing. Uh, there's actually this week a possible world record. Like any good sport, we don't know if it's a world record until the tape has been viewed and viewed over and over and over again. But a Jewish surfer may have surfed the largest uh, wave on earth. Um, oh, I right. Thank uh, uh, all of the people who sent us that article. A lot of listeners, a lot of readers. Um, absolutely did. With, you know, somebody who, with a Hawaiian Jewish name that's so good, you can't make it up. Makua Rothman. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Uh, the wave was at least 100 feet tall. They're going to figure out, uh, you know, by May, apparently, is the deadline to figure it out. You know what? That Jews, like all, really like to uh, debate and then settle on a mathematical problem. But uh, Makua Rothman, who I guess is, um, is really the uh, uh, John Ralphio Saperstein of. Uh, skiing, yeah, one of the few are uh, surfing.
1: That's, that's amazing. I mean, I'd really love to read a, uh, you know, Duff uh, Yom about uh, calculating waves. I feel like there's some Talmudic uh, interpretation for that.
0: Yes, um, if, the, if the wave reaches higher than a man's ascendancy to God, <laughs> has he surfed it truly? That's true. I think or, is Rabbi, the wave surfing,
1: or is the wave surfing him? Mm-hmm. I think
0: Rabbi Akiva has a lot, of, uh, a lot of debates on this. This was actually debated by uh, Manny Patinkin and Yentl. That's what they were <laughs> arguing about at the beginning of the movie, whether or not Makua Rothman would hit that wave.
1: Uh, so just one last sport to cover. Uh, our, our favorite sport to play, golf, uh, which we were lucky enough to be able to play a few times during the pandemic as a social distance sport uh, two big names to talk about. We've talked about before, but uh, Max Homa sort of the mayor of, of golf Twitter uh, had, had a pretty good start to 2020 moved up from 128th in the world all the way to the 68th, uh, but then struggled a little bit. And uh, in the three majors, he wasn't able to make the cut, but Daniel Berger, who is someone we sort of talked about before as, as, being on the peripheries of the golf world, you know, ranked in the hundreds sort of make some events and he had had a, a win a while ago, but he had an unbelievable 2020. And it's sad, um, you know, again, this is, this is pretty small potatoes when it comes to the pandemic. But it's sad to see that it cut something short in the sports world. We'll never know exactly how it would have gone. Because Daniel Berger started, started 2020 152nd in the world. He is now ranked 13th in the world. And that's even, spectacular. He, he didn't get to play in the masters that happened in November because the, the roster for the, uh, the field for the masters was set back in, back in March and he wasn't good enough back in March. So he'll be in the masters that are coming up this coming April, 2021, but you know, he had six top five finishes in 2020. He won the Charles Schwab challenge, which was the first tournament when they came back 13th at the PGA,
0: um, he, you, he, and I, you and I had the uh, privilege of meeting him last year uh, in yes, Phoenix. very
1: briefly in Phoenix. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to interview him. But, you know, hopefully there's a, there's a pandemic-free world that involves us covering the Canadian Open at a minimum uh, or maybe dragging our, our children to the Phoenix Open uh, again in the future,
0: if we're lucky. <laughs> Some golf tournament, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to Daniel again and we'll get him on for you guys. He's, uh, we, we know he's, he's a friend of the pod, let's call it that. Yeah. Um,
1: so I think that's pretty much it for, for sports wrap up from the, yeah. past, from the past year, things we missed the pandemic. Uh, we want to move on now to our interview with Jody Avignan. Um, Jody is a podcaster and writer, uh, previously of uh, ESPN and the 30 for 30 series. Uh, we uh, took this of a, podcast.
0: A very quite- notable sporting uh, storyteller, sort of a, a podcasting hero of ours, a, a very nice man. Um, the interview is notable and great as you'll hear me and him playing Jewish geography in the world of ultimate frisbee for a few minutes. Um, and as a former pro, ultimate player, and coach, he knows a lot about the history of the sport, its Jewish roots, uh, and its sort of place in modern Jewish culture, which I know is important to both me and a lot of other of our listeners.
1: We, we did tape this interview a few months ago, so there may be a few moments that are in Congress or, or uh, reaching back from a different era. But, you know, we didn't realize that our newspaper is going to get shut down all of a sudden because of the
0: pandemic. So. Or that Quibi wouldn't survive to the end of the year.
1: Yeah, the Quibi references really, really date the, the, uh, <laughs> the interview. But uh, we hope you give it a listen. Jody's a really interesting guy. And we'll go now to our, to our interview with Jody Averdman. We're here with Jody Avergan, the host of 30 for 30 podcast on ESPN. Hi, Jody. How's it going?
2: Hello. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, not really sure why I'm here, fellas, but uh, I'm glad to be here nevertheless.
0: Okay. Welcome to the uh, uh, Mench Warmers. We figured you'd be a, a really fabulous guest with a lot of insight on some particular Jewish stories we wanted to ask you about. Um, Some also uh, questions and and chats about storytelling we want to share with you and uh, like to talk a little bit about your ultimate playing past. Yeah, I mean, as you may or may not know, is a big Jewish sport, including its inventors.
2: I can I can certainly, um, you know, attest to that. I. You know, <laughs> um, I, I probably qualify, you know, if you're trying to interview Jewish athletes, I probably qualify in the loosest possible way for both Jewish and athlete. But nevertheless, I will I will abide and we will have a conversation. And I'm, that, I'm happy to that, talk. That's about That's fine. Work. That's
1: fine. You know, I, I, realistically, there aren't that many Jewish athletes and sometimes we have to broaden the, <laughs> the spectrum a little bit. Uh, you know, part of the thing we've talked about on our podcast is, is even just guys who sound Jewish, uh, uh-huh. guys who could be Jewish, yeah. okay. Steph Curry, Steph Curry's got a Hebrew tattoo on his arm. That's, that's, that's good enough for us.
0: Yeah. Uh, so
1: we you know, we'll, we'll, take all comers. All right. Um,
0: as I mentioned, uh, to you uh, over Twitter a little while ago, you're about as Jewish as David Beckham and as Katie Ledecky, okay. uh, both people who Jewish people totally claim as being full on Jews.
2: Great. I'm happy to be claimed, um, by almost anyone, honestly. Oh,
0: good. <laughs> Um. So why don't you start by uh, introducing yourself, tell sure. our audience who you are, what you do, uh, a little bit about how you got there, and uh, we'll take it from there.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh I come from the world of podcasting. I um have done, you know, radio and podcasting for most of my career. Uh most recently I was at ESPN where I did the 30 for 30 podcast series, these kind of documentaries about sports, but not really sports, you know, kind of using sports as a lens to get at some bigger issues. Before that, I covered politics. Uh, I worked at a place called 538 and covered the 2016 election and I was in public radio. So, you know, I've done a a bunch of stuff in, in radio, um, on the sports side, you know, um, in addition to liking sports and thinking it's a good journalistic lens, I have, you know, played a lot of sports and, and covered a lot of, and, and, um, you know, coach sports and taking sports pretty seriously. And it's been a big part of my life. And in particular, you know, you referenced it, but I'm one of these people who takes ultimate Frisbee way too seriously and played in uh, high school and college and then club at the club level. And then even professionally, and I've coached uh, at the college level and internationally. So, you know, I, I've kind of, that was through my twenties and into my early thirties, like the sort of dominant thing in, in my life.
0: Well, I'm also a, a, I would say a good beer league ultimate player. Yeah. Um, we play, both me and our producer Michael is on the call, playing a league with some former pros, some casual people somewhere mm-hmm. sort of in the middle. Um, and, you know, it's always a sport worth chatting about and worth uh, at least comparing Brody Smith videos.
2: Yes. Yeah. Brody, a very interesting figure in the ultimate community. Uh, but yes. Yeah. Well, uh, he's making the transition to disc golf now,
0: but that's a totally different thing. And uh, regular golf
2: too, right? Oh I mean, wow! He's just yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't really follow the Brody Smith. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> twist and turns. Is, is transitioning way. from is transitioning from professional ultimate to professional disc
1: golf? Is that like a pitcher coming back with a knuckleball? Like they yeah. come, you know, like they're <laughs> exactly. trying to reinvent themselves. They're, you know, their their short game is good, but you know, they need
2: they need to work on something else. Well, one thing you know, as I played ultimate. Um, you know I'm very look I took it very seriously I think it's a fantastic sport I played all sorts of other sort of uh, more quote-unquote respectable sports and I you know ended up going with ultimate Um, I nevertheless understand you know kind of its its place in the culture and it's sort of um, and which is all to say that as I played ultimate I was always very aware of the other sports that Ultimate players could make fun of, right? Usually it's the other way around. Right? Usually, it's <laughs> for they sure, they look, look down on ultimate players, and there's a sh- very short list of sports that ultimate players get to feel high and mighty about. Uh, disc golf might be on there, Quidditch is certainly on there. Absolutely. Sure. Um, sack is, you know,
0: we in our <laughs> ultimate <laughs> league, in our ultimate league, we share uh, a field with some flag football players, and I know people take flag football really seriously, but they just
2: don't seem to be working too hard. Yeah, but those flag football players 100% think that you are a complete joke.
0: Oh, for sure. No yeah. question. No question. Uh, I, on the other hand, am evolved and know <laughs> that uh, Ultimate's the way to go. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm just kidding. So uh, you were playing Ultimate. Uh, you mentioned you played college. You played club. Uh, did your club ever make it? Anywhere big?
2: Yeah. You know, I played for – most of my career was playing for the main New York club. Um, It's called Pride of New York Pony. Um, You know, we were nationally competitive. We were never going to be in like the semifinals or finals of nationals, but we were often in the like – top 10 in the country and, you know, traveling around the country and the world to compete. Um, the program, this is, um, I would like to think mostly a coincidence, the program has gotten really good lately and I've, I've not been, I've not played for a while, And but they actually won a national championship um, two years ago. Uh, and I'm sort of still loosely involved a little bit and know a bunch of them. But uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, I played, um, you know, I played at, at the highest level that was available to me.
0: And I'm sure you're aware it, it has a long Jewish history or yeah. a particular Jewish history.
2: Well, you know, my, my I'm, have, I'm sort of getting a sense that maybe perhaps you've done some of the genealogy here. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, my sense of um, ultimate is certainly – well, look. I mean, let's see. Let's talk in blunt terms here. Ultimate has tended to come – often from the Northeast, this is early, this has changed a lot recently, but like often from the Northeast of the United States, often from people pick it up at universities or certainly early on, more elite colleges, I think I'm sort of painting us perhaps a demographic picture here. A lot of people picked it up at summer camp. You know, I'm I'm doing, I'm hitting a lot of keywords for you guys. Yeah, definitely. Yes, Uh,
0: summer camp especially, but it's sort of things that have been uh, uh, overrepresented amongst Jewish people uh, historically. Um, Well, if just to uh, a couple of uh, uh, pieces of history, it was invented by a man named Cass and another man named Silver. At a high school in New Jersey, they used, uh, you know, just a regular Frisbee.
2: Maplewood, New Jersey. There's still a little plaque there in the parking lot. Oh, wow. Where they started playing. Mm-hmm. I know some of this stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course you do. That's that's fantastic. Um, Buzzy Hellring being another one of the inventors uh, as well. Uh, current movie producer and sort of uh, one of those legends of angry Jewish Hollywood, Joel Silver, mm-hmm. is uh, one of the inventors of Ultimate.
2: And he is. Yeah, he is. And he was one of the part of that original group. And, you know, there's always like every few years the Ultimate community tries to reach out to him and be like, well, you know, you might be our most – Famous, certainly our most wealthy, uh, kind of like person in our roots. And, <laughs> and Joel Silver kind of does a little like that was a different time kind of thing. And just <laughs> just goes on about his life making, you know, multi-million dollar movies. I'll be honest with you. The Jewish sports podcasting
0: uh, community has also done that dance with Mr. Joel Silver. And will <laughs> I assume
2: continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with that get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um,
1: just switching, switching gears a bit, Jody, I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit about a recent 30 for 30 podcast that mm-hmm. I thought our, our listeners might be specifically interested in. Um, this is the, podcast in the previous season called uh, The Spy Who Signed Me Uh about Shabtai uh, Kalmanovich and uh, his signing or his taking over the Spartak basketball team in Russia and um, I I thought this was a great podcast that you know is very interesting and I think really sort of um, epitomized what I feel like 30 for 30 does so well which is like you know here's this thing you know a little about or maybe if you're a sports fan you remember hearing something but here's the real story and, and and isn't it interesting, you know, isn't right. it? Isn't it? What an interesting thing.
2: I mean, I, I really love that episode too. Uh, Keith Romer was the lead reporter on that, you know, and um, it, to me, it sort of satisfied a lot of the things that I came to think about were the key for good 30 for 30s, both on the film side and, and what we were trying to do on the podcast side, which is, you know, um, you have these big names. You have Diana, Diana Taurasi, and Sue Bird, two of the best basketball players, women's basketball players in the world. Diana Taurasi, perhaps the best player ever. Um, and this fundamental question that I think all of us have had at some point, but never really sort of stopped and looked at, which is kind of like, wait a minute, why is it that the best players in the U.S. have to go overseas to play? Right, um,
0: and, and to make like, real money,
2: and to and and yeah, and like, why is it that you know the only place they can make real money and kind of get compensated according to their abilities is not in this country. Um. So, so I really love stories that just sort of like attack a question that's like, has been sitting in front of your nose this whole time. and You never actually kind of stopped to, to look into it. And then layered on top of that, I really like stories that are, holy shit, twists and turns, all sorts of like, you know, things that you didn't expect. And this one has that. And so this just checked so many boxes. In addition to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm be curious, James, if you felt this way, but like, I thought Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird were like the most compelling people. We've oh, absolutely! Interviewed. I mean, they were amazing. They should take their show on the road. They have great rapport with each other, and so it was just like a pleasure to listen to them. In addition to having this kind of crazy twist and turn story to, to absolutely follow. and uh,
1: Sue Bird, we should point out it does it does come up in the uh, in the podcast. as half Jewish? or dad's Jewish.
2: Well, there's a great scene about them getting fake Israeli citizenship in order to be able to play in in uh, in Russia. Yeah,
1: yeah. So and- a little bit of context that uh, that this guy Shabtai Komanovich was a was a Russian expat who who spied for the KGB in Israel and was convicted in Israel of, of being a spy. Then sort of had a had a later career as a as a kleptocrat uh you know russian oligarch and and owned a basketball team and and hired these women over and 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 seems you know genuinely this comes across from from sue and sue burden diana tracy in the podcast that he really really loved basketball and really loved women's basketball
2: and he treated them the way they you know should have been treated in this country like he he spent a lot of money on them he gave them the best possible experience yeah
1: you know, as you mentioned, you know, there is really no compensation that that rivals what you can get paid in other parts of the world for for women's sports of all kinds, women's basketball, especially. And uh, I think it was Diana Tarassi who said that, you know, making $40,000 in the WNBA, you could be making less than one of the people working in the arena, yeah. uh, putting out the floor, which is sort of unbelievable. And, and and it's interesting to think about why no one's ever cracked the code on uh, on women's sports in North America in, in, in the right way, like that they get compensated properly and that you get the best talent. Maybe it would take a, you know eccentric billionaire or something like that to uh, to make it happen.
0: And I think the argument can be made, Jody, and I'm curious on your uh, uh, perspective on this, is that Sue Bird particularly, and obviously her partner, Megan Rapinoe, are achieving notoriety and fame that rivals yeah. a lot of male athletes throughout the country.
2: Yeah, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're as, like, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with more marketable sports personalities at the moment than the two of them. And so, yeah, I think that that it's starting to, to sort of the, – the math is starting to make sense. But, you know, I mean, I think we reported – we did another story, another documentary about a failed women's professional soccer league here in this country. And one of the storylines there was U.S. soccer has been – Willing to think of Major League major league Soccer, the Men's League, as a loss leader for decades. Has been willing to pour tons of money into it and just say, this will eventually pay off. We're going to grow this. This is grassroots, whatever. And then for this women's soccer league and I think in general other women's soccer leagues just the shortest leash possible you know like 2 years and they're like oh it's not working out we're out you know and I think that's happening and I think that actually the WNBA you know as much as we highlighted some of the disparities in the in the in the documentary that we were just talking about I think the WNBA is is in some ways an example of the NBA a, you know, 10, 15 years ago, saying, you know what, you're going to have a seat at the table. We're going to invest. We're going to pr- market these things together, and I think it is starting to pay off, and it is starting to grow. Um, but it's just about, it's just about inclusivity and just sort of keeping and the and giving the same sort of standards and 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 like literally, like not euphemistically, seat at the table. Like I know that. Something that the NBA did was just say, like, when we have our big meetings, when we have, like, when we gather the, the basketball brain trust, the WNBA is going to be represented. Uh, and that has paid off. Or, you know, it's, it, has, it has led to something.
0: I will tell anybody who will listen. Um, and I know uh, this isn't as, I mean, I, I, this sort of tenured. You're already issues. listening, by the way. it's uh, that's true. Anyway, yeah. on the podcast or without that, the single most dominant athlete I've ever seen do anything was uh, Brianna Stewart as a rookie.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: she won the MVP, I think, in her rookie year after two straight Lieberman Awards. Um, and she was up again, as a teammate with Sue Bird. And, you know, she probably had 25 and 10 in New York. And it was like watching LeBron, seriously. Yeah. She was that dominant. And I think as those personalities start to come out, um, as well as the, just watching the athletic spectacle of it, it'll just, it's, the sport will absolutely grow.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, we we we, I mean, think about a player like Maya Moore who is doing just amazing other things that she she should be credited for. But like, you know, people people when when in NBA circles, people talk about like, oh, no one will ever be as dominant as Bill Russell, the most decorated at you know player ever. Like, have you have you looked at Maya Moore's you know Wikipedia page? Like, she has just won everything for the last ten years. Like, it is just unreal. And so, you know, these these people are. Are, are amongst us. We just have to start to talk about them. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it's, we
0: all talk, we romanticize college sports, uh, as well as athletes who are theoretically playing their sports for quote unquote, the right reasons, you know, because for love of the game and or for personal and team glory. Um, and nobody can really argue that a WNBA player is in it for the money. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think okay. I, part of it also is that, um, Jody, as you mentioned, you know, Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird in this podcast are incredibly captivating. Sue Bird has has been someone we've followed, obviously, because she's Jewish, uh, wrote something in the Players' Tribune last year about uh, her wife, Megan Rapinoe. And, you know, that part of what we're missing out on is these people as personalities, not just as athletes, but just like as captivating uh yeah. exciting individuals that we want to celebrate and that because there hasn't been the sort of women's professional sports in north america we're missing out on on having them turn into those those people obviously there's there's you know um there's examples of you know cheryl miller or something like that of of, of women, female athletes who have made it as uh sports commentators but they're they're sort of few and far between compared to compared to the men who sort of dominate it
0: i mean and nancy lieberman's a great jewish example of that too um you know she's coached. she's been a broadcaster and she has the women's college player of the year award named after her. and she is i don't want to say obviously but because that's really not something non-jews should joke about if any of them happen to be listening
2: but she's pretty obviously jewish
0: uh so jody before we go do you want to talk to us a little bit tell us a little bit
1: about your new podcast and and uh new new ventures All here
2: right. i appreciate that yeah, so i mean you know i left espn uh, a few months ago and um just kind of felt like it was time to try some new things i had no idea that the world was going to be what the world has ended up uh, being since then. <laughs> yeah, but, good um, good time yeah, to get out of sports. It turned yeah, out great time and get yeah, well. Yeah, that's. I will I will like, tell uh, you now. Availability of guests is pretty high. It's amazing. Yeah, and 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 you know, and just within our little world of podcasting, I think everyone's realizing like, oh, I could have just been doing this from home this whole time. Like, hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be very interesting. Or it's actually like it's a throwback to how this all started, which is like everyone sort of sitting in their closet and, or under blankets and recording. Um, so it's been interesting and, you know, it has been, uh, I think it's a medium that can continue kind of to pluck along in a way that others have not been able to in, in, in media. But anyway, I, you know, so, well, which is all to say that I actually did start a new show um, and decided to go ahead with starting an, an, a new show um, about political history. It's called this day in esoteric political history. It's a little, it's a twice a week. We're actually going to be three times a week uh, very soon. And it just takes little stories from the past in U S political history and just sort of um, talks about them and, tells them, um, you know, with a, I have a historian co-host. It's always nice to have a podcast with someone who knows what they're talking about. Right. And That's how, that's uh, how Gabe feels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, this is my, I, I think I mentioned earlier, and I covered the election in 2016 and it was a whole thing and it burned me out and it was like really intense. And when I left ESPN, I was like, do I want to get back into covering this election? And I was like, I don't think so, but I still want to talk to the moment. And so I, you know, 30 for 30 was this way too. It was like, there's something about looking to history and finding stories that resonate now that I find really compelling. And it's a way of talking about, talking to the moment, but not talking about the moment. And I, and I really like that. And, um, it allows me to like not. To sleep and not get super stressed, but still feel like you know I'm helping kind of process uh, process this time. So it's been it's been fun to launch, and um, you know, and um, we're gonna keep it going all the way through the election at least. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think despite what some, I'll just say some conservatives might say, history is not really going anywhere. No, no. so you're gonna have a lot of opportunity to uh, um, to to continue that show and continue to find things to talk about. Obviously, we've said this in the past, but. You know, we tend to we tend to believe with the uh, classical Jewish interpretation interpretation that statues themselves are bad. Doesn't really matter which statue.
2: You're having a moment.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're having a, our our theories are really coming
2: coming to happen. Yes uh yeah you should really get out there with that theory see how that see how that plays on Twitter very much in vogue so uh
0: where can we find your podcast nowadays
2: so I'm doing it with this network called Radiotopia which is sort of a network of independent podcasts and I've always wanted to work with them um so you know uh what do they say wherever you find your podcast you can go to you can just search for it's it's you know I like names like um, World's strongest man competition, like it does what it says. And so this, this day in esoteric political history, uh, it, it does what it says. Uh, my favorite spot podcast, uh, sorry, my favorite Spotify playlist is chill, lo-fi, chill study beats. They always, they always try to push that one on me. Really straightforward. And so I like, I like those kinds of names. So this day in esoteric political history, you can go find it. Um, and it's short, which I'm really, which I really like. So 10. 10, 12 minutes a day. The Quibi uh, podcast. What a, what a curse. Quibi <laughs> podcast. Do you know a single person who has signed up for Quibi? No, no. Not one. I like, I'm almost want to do it just to do it. You're the guy. You'd oh, be the guy. Yeah, you'd be yeah. the guy. I think I people think... signed up for free trials, but now they've yeah. canceled them. Um, as, soon as, they, they, as soon as it ran out. They signed like, I mean, it's an incredible lineup on paper. Um, yeah, sure. And, I haven't heard anyone.
1: I mean, everyone's reacted to that Vulture article yesterday uh, that came out of it, or maybe Saturday. But it's sort—it's of, amazing how how stupid it seems in retrospect. Even like they were talking about the, the woman who put up, who was one of the executives along with Jeffrey Katzenberg. And she like she was asked about a television program she likes. And she said, well, there's this miniseries about uh, Ulysses S. Grant on the History Channel I like. And that yeah. was the only TV, sh- TV show she could name.
0: <laughs> Not one that she had anything to do with. Yeah.
1: It's like starting a podcast network and, and saying like, uh yeah i i think i listened to freakonomics 10 years ago once and you
2: right. know i mean which which you know to be honest is a lot of people who are trying to get into podcasting that sure. that's their touchstone these days but that's another question you know but i mean i don't think their issue is a marketing issue right i think or it's something but it's misreading the market issue people don't want to watch short but ambitious stuff they want to watch short stupid stuff or they want to watch long ambitious stuff i don't know what it is i don't know
0: so are you this is gonna sound you know Maybe this is a specific reference. Are you the quibby of hardcore
2: history? Am I the quibby of hardcore? Hard, that is like you. You just need so many like cult, You need like a cultural <laughs> like. Welcome uh, to um, our show, dude. Yeah, Rosetta Stone in order to like <laughs> deep unpack that one. But that might be right. That might. Be That's right. good.
0: Well, I'm always guess, impressed, oh sorry, Jamie, you can go. I was going to make a Dan Carlin joke, but I was just going to say I think we can leave it to our listeners to
1: to check that out and, and decide for themselves okay, uh, again this do. day in esoteric political history. Uh, we ask you guys to check it out, uh, support Jody and uh, support him in, in appreciation for coming on our podcast. And, uh, and
0: do you gain anything now just sort of other than personal pride from you know our listeners maybe listening to your old podcast for the first time?
2: uh you mean thirty for thirty yes um. I mean, I you know, I I'm there's a new season of Thirty for Thirty coming out. I'm incredibly excited about it. It was something that went into production while I was still there. Um, I'm in their corner. I'm very happy. Uh, it is not a uh, it's not a zero sum game in the world of podcasts. No, of course. So, yes. It's a, a rising
0: tide. We're exactly. we're big on the rising tide.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, and we tell our listeners to check out that as well. I mean,
1: the Thirty for Thirty podcasts and you know documentaries, obviously. Were, uh, we're a huge deal as well. And, and we yeah. ask everybody to check those out. Lots of Me interesting too. stories there, especially for our Jewish listeners who want, want a, uh, some interest in a Jewish story. The Spy Who Signed Me, a uh, very yeah. interesting podcast about women's basketball in Russia and uh, r- Russian culture altogether. So Jody, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. St- stay safe funny. and stay
0: healthy out there. You too. That was Jody Avergan. Um, After speaking to him, learning about his life, about his ultimate career, he might uh, sort of compete with Makua Rothman for gnarliest Jewish guy.
1: Yeah. Um, Thanks again for joining us. We're sorry it took so long to get the podcast out there, uh, but it is back. Um, So just to say you guys can follow us, as we said, on Twitter. Um, You can follow everything CJN related on Facebook at the CJN Lounge. Uh, We've got a, a
0: new website, as a matter of fact.
1: The cjn.ca. Uh, no more CJ news. So change your bookmarks. Um, I did read a good joke on the CJN lounge in between all the Israel-Palestine debate that one can imagine uh, an internet forum populated by Jews uh, would have. Did you read this? I, apparently there's an old joke, but I never heard it, but I'll, I'll tell it here. Um, apparently the yeshiva rowing team is not having a lot of success. Uh, they can't figure out what to do. Their times are terrible. So they send one of their players to go to Harvard to, you know, check out the best of the best and see what their rowers are doing. And he goes and he watches the Harvard team and he comes back to the yeshiva and he says, you guys won't believe this. They have one guy yelling and eight guys rowing. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently the old one, I never heard it. I thought it was good. I thought it was Jewish, Jewish sports related.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, and now they're, they're and- true to form. And I think we should leave our audience with that. Uh, two guys yelling for a long time and one guy producing. So thank you to Michael Freeman for producing this show as a reminder. Now that he may or may not be funding our, our, uh, our show that Larry Tannenbaum is always welcome on this podcast, whether he would like, who knows,
1: to- who knows who funds us. We're like the federalist
0: uh, George Soros. Yeah. Oh, Oh. Maybe you know, George Soros. Maybe
1: it actually is. Oh, our producer is giving us the kill sign. <laughs> Like you're saying, don't mention Soros. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you don't hear from us at some point soon, uh, you'll know why. Everybody else, we're so glad to be back. name Jewish News is back. It's great. Uh, nice to have a venue. Nice to have a forum for all our, our spiciest takes about Jews and sports.
0: We're thrilled to be back. Follow us on Twitter at Menchwarmers and uh, download us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again. Take care.